blessed every morning again with our praise team. I thank God for Laura and for that team and how they touch my life. Goodness, what a blessing. We're in a series on the Ten Commandments. The first commandment tells us who to worship. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment tells us how to worship. How to worship. The first commandment forbids us to worship false gods. And the second commandment forbids us to have false worship. Exodus chapter 20. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you. You will turn with me to that passage and follow along in your copy of God's Word that you have with us. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 of Exodus 20. And I want to ask you in honor of God, would you stand as I read aloud God's Word. Exodus 20, 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Verse 6, But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You may not know this, the Ten Commandments is the only central thing that both Jews, Christians, and Muslims can agree upon. It just sort of fits all of us, and we know that. I don't know very much about you. You know very little about me. But I know one thing about you, and it's true about me as well. We all have an instinct from God to worship. We were born with it. In fact, it's almost as instinctive as breathing is. That's what it's all about, that God has placed in our hearts. And if we do not worship the true God, we'll worship a false God. If we worship the true God in a wrong way, we don't worship at all. This passage says, don't idolize anything and worship God only. Would you pray with me? The psalmist in Psalms 24 verse 6 refers to a generation of Hebrews who sought God's face. First Chronicles 16 verse 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. To seek God's face is to require His presence 
and His favor more than anything else. Father, I pray that today's generation of believers will also come to be known as the generation that sought the face of the living God. Father, I pray that the church, this church right here, Crossroads Fellowship, will follow this exhortation to seek your face. I pray that we will find spiritual strength that comes from you and your reviving presence. And Father, as your child, we know that you bring judgment on people so that we will return to you as your discipline increases. And as it increases, Father, I pray that I and your children in this place will take responsibility for the ways we have departed from you and that we will repent of that and we will seek your face. And Father, I am so thankful that you know everything about every one of us in this room. There's nothing we can hide from you. And so this morning, Father, you'll speak to us each individually. May we receive and live your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. We're going to look at these two principles this morning. The first one that says, don't idolize anything. That's what God tells us to do. If we idolize anything, we put God completely out of where He is supposed to be. What does it mean to idol, to have an idol? It means to have something that takes our focus upon God. It takes it off of God, on something else. That is an idol. To idolize means to value something more than we value God. And it can be a number of things. You can put an idol in your garage. You can dock an idol at the marina. You can put your idol in a safety deposit box. You can put your idol where your address is. You can put your idol in a lot of places. Archaeologists down through the years have proven to us from millennials past that people have always worshipped. They've always worshipped statues of stone, of metal, little gods and goddesses that are designed to be worshipped. And man does it because that's how God created us all through history. That's who we are. And we, when we do that, God says, don't. That's wrong. That's an idol. When Moses instructed, or when Moses was instructed to write these commandments that we're going to be studying and that we're studying today, there were three primary idols. I want you to hear what they were. There was the idol of Baal. That's the god of sex. There was the idol of Memon, the god of wealth. And there was the idol of Molech, the god of violence. We haven't changed, have we? 
Not one bit. You go back in your mind what you saw and read in the news this past week. And I can tell you, all three of those gods are still very prevalent in the world we live in, in the society where we are. We haven't come very far. We get a little more sophisticated maybe, but through our hooking up with the internet, we can see all of that and be involved in all of that, as well as our television and those things that we read. That's where we are. We're sophisticated, but we still do the very same things. Our gods might not be stone or metal, but they may be mental images that we have in our mind. We may not have shrines in our home, but we got shrines in our mind to the gods out there that mean the most to us. We still have our shrines. We just don't have them publicly. Our images that we worship that are important to us. God says we're not to have those images. We're not to have those other gods. Images of success and wealth and indulgence and of sports and on and on we can go. God says we're not to have those gods before him. How do you raise a family? And that's what all this series is about. How do you raise a family in a culture that says these are more important than what God's Word says? How do you do that? Ken Ham, Creation Institute, wrote a book about eight, ten years ago called Already Gone. And what he was saying in that book, the premise of it was, is that In our churches, our middle school children are already lost to the world. Let that soak in on you just a minute. And he says it's because we've been doing religious activities instead of teaching biblical principles and the results do not translate into fellowship of God. That's indicting, isn't it? It surely is. How do we teach our children, our precious children, the disadvantages and the distractions of idols? Deuteronomy 4, verses 15 and 16. Listen to this carefully. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Now listen to this line. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you in Horeb, Out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure. You didn't see me with any figure. I didn't come that way to you. Be careful that you do not worship a figure of your own making. Not a stone or metal image or a mental image. Images misrepresent God. John 4 verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, he tells us. Isaiah 40 verse 25 says, to whom will you compare me, says the holy God. God says, watch yourself carefully. Don't place images are idols where I am to be placed. No form can ever truly represent Jehovah God. Doesn't matter what it is. Why is God telling us this? 
Well, let me give you some things. I hope you have your bulletin and you'll use those as we go through these. First of all, idols will disappoint us. Idols will disappoint you. They will disappoint us. They always promise more than they can deliver. Jeremiah 10 verse 14 says, Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful, and there is no breath in them. They promise more than they can ever deliver. They lie to us. That's what Madison Avenue does. We are fed on it day in and day out. Madison Avenue will tell us a lot of things. Wear our label and you'll really be out front where you belong. You'll be popular. Buy our product and you'll be successful. Drink our beer. It doesn't get any better than this. Use our our toothpaste and you will have sex appeal. And we just sort of buy into all of this. Other gods. They promise more than they can ever deliver. You've ordered things on the internet, or from magazines. You ever order anything and when you got it, it wasn't anything like you thought it was going to be? Like grape nuts. Neither grapes or nuts. It wasn't what you ordered. It was entirely different. You were disappointed. And God says the same thing. If you put something in my place, you're going to be very disappointed. Nothing can guarantee peace but God. Nothing can bring fulfillment, but God, you'll be disappointed. You'll be disappointed all. Nobody likes a misrepresentation of himself. You don't like a misrepresentation of yourself, and I can tell you God don't like a misrepresentation of himself. He says, don't you do that. Don't you do that at all. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 18 says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it has shaped it a metal image, a teacher of lies. It will disappoint you. Idols will always disappoint you. Let me give you a second thing about idols. They will dominate you. They will dominate me if I get involved with an idol. They will control my life. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 2 says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. You controlled by lifeless idols. They took control of your life. They led you astray. There are two inevitable effects when we value something more than we do God. That which I value more than God will begin to control me. It'll begin to control you as well. Have you realized, it's interesting when you watch society and you see them start using words differently than they've been used before, let that just run up an antenna. That happens all the time, but there's something you may not have realized that's happened just in the last 15, maybe 18 years at the most. We've substituted the word addiction for the word control. We're addicted to everything. We're addicted to sports. We're addicted to sex. We're addicted to drugs. We're addicted to work. On and on the list goes. You know why we've done that? Because addictions are something we have no control over. We cannot be held responsible for. So we put that word in there. It takes the pressure off. 
Let me tell you a second thing. Effect. That God, when you have something that dominates you. Second effect is that when I value something more than I value God, I lose my perspective. You remember that little passage we read a moment ago? They were led astray. I lose my perspective. How many have been lured away by the promise of promotion in a job? Have neglected their families because of this or that? How many have come to a place in their life where they compromise their integrity for pleasure? And on and on the list can go. It dominates. You lose your values. That God dominates your life. When you allow something in your life to control your life, you no longer after a while have any control over it. It's making all the decisions. Let me tell you something. When someone controls you, psychologists will call that codependency. God calls that idolatry. We just sort of let these things slip in and out of our life. The number one way to break away from this is to make God number one in your life. That's how you get through this. Idols will disappoint us. Idols will dominate us. Let me give you a third thing. Idols will deform you. They'll deform you. What do you mean, Kent? They'll change you. That's what I mean. They'll change you. You will lose your uniqueness that God gave you when you begin to be led astray by an idol. That'll happen. God gave you what he wants to give you to make you like him. But when an idol comes in, that idol that I value more than God begins to deform me. I no longer have the uniqueness that God gave me when he created me. Psalms 115 verse 8. Those who make them, idols we're talking about, those who make them will be like them, the Bible says. And so will all who trust in them. We're going to be just like the idols that we've been following and trusting. We shape our idols, and then our idols shape us. Happens every time. You and I become like what is first in our life. That's exactly what happens. Oh, friend, that spot is reserved for Christ. An upward mobile executive came to Jesus and asked him, What must I do to have eternal life? You remember the story? Jesus knew this man, and so he tells him, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, Jesus doesn't say that to anybody else in the Bible, but the reason he says that to that man, and he might say something like that to us if we were standing before him right now, Jesus knew what his idols were. His idols was his self-righteousness and his money. And when Jesus told him to go, and give all that away and come follow him, he decided he wasn't going to pay that kind of price. He wasn't going to pay that kind of price at all. Jesus knows the idol in my life and the idols in your life. What are you holding on to? That God says, give it up, and you say, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. What that whatever that is 
has already taken control of your life. Do you understand that? That habit, that career, that relationship, whatever it is that God tells you to give that up and you cannot do it, I want you to know you're under the control of an idol. That is your idol. And when I can't let it go, it owns me. I don't own it. Idols disappoint me. Idols will dominate me. Idols will deform me and eventually destroy me. The turning away from God is always turning to something else. You remember when Adam and Eve turned from God? They turned to Lucifer, to Satan. We'll turn to other things. It may be a person, it may be a job, it may be a sport, whatever it is, a dream or whatever it is, we've turned away from God. Jeremiah 2 verse 5, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? There's two principles to this command. I've given you the negative one. Don't idolize anything. But the second one is the positive. And the second part of that is worship God only. What does worship mean? You can get a lot of definitions on that. We worship in a lot of ways, but let me just sum it up as to what worship really is. You write this down. Worship is pleasing God with my highest love and greatest devotion. With my highest love and my greatest devotion. Wanting to please God with that. That's what worship really is. We sing. You've sang it before, I'm sure. You alone are worthy. God, you alone, are, you alone are worthy. You deserve my highest praise. How true that is. That's what real worship is. Not a person. Not an object. But God. But God. Only. God only. And God alone deserves my highest praise. Desi- deserves all that I am. Romans 1, 25 Sometimes we're like those people. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Oh, goodness. That's so true. Do you know people who do that? Yeah, you do. We do. It blows my mind to what some people worship. It's unbelievable. People worship nature. I love nature, but I'd rather worship the one who created it. There's people who worship people. They worship intellect. They worship ideas. They worship pleasures. Why would intelligent people do something like that? There are three driving forces or motives for idol worship. I want to give these to you. The first bullet there is an attempt to limit God's location. That's the reason we'll turn to idols. We want to limit God's location. If you can put God in a place, in an object, where you know where he is all the time, like some of us believe he's only in this place. We can't find him anywhere else except here. When we put God and limit his location, what we're saying is, God, when I don't want you around, I know not to go where you are. 
So I want to keep you in a place where I know where you are all the time. I'll just leave you there, and then when I want you, I'll come back to that place. That's what we say. I'm giving you a second motive for idol worship. It's an attempt to reduce God's power. Now listen carefully. I want to bring God down at least to my size. If I've got him in a box, if I've got him in an image, it's much less threatening and more manageable when I can do that. We revised Genesis 1.26. It said, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We now say, let us make God in our likeness, in our image. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, my idol, of, or, or not my idol, my idea of God is so-and-so. When I hear that, I just want to jump up and say, who put you in charge? Who put you in that place? Goodness, you don't have that authority. I don't have that authority. You better know the facts. You see, we want to shape God to our standards. You see, let me tell you why we do that. It's much easier to change my image of God than it is to change me. So I'm just going to change my image of God. So what does God say if you've got a God like that? He says you're not supposed to lie, but I can lie in this particular case because he doesn't mind. I've got him where I want him. I can do whatever I want to. He winks at that. God calls that idolatry. God, I want to control you. I just want about a quarter's worth of you. I want enough that you'll bless me, but I don't want enough for you to boss me. That's the kind of God I want. Let me give you some more motives that drive idol worship. Not only do we want to limit his location and reduce his power, but we want to attempt to control God. When I have an idol, I am the worshiper and I'm in control, not the one being worshipped. I know adults who try to control God. They try to manipulate Him. God, if you want me to do this, you do that. If you let this happen, then I'll do this for you. On and on it goes. We're that way. Let me give you the benefits of worshiping God only. You need to know this because this is what it's all about. When I worship God and God only, worshiping God will delight me. And there's a big word for that called fulfillment. There's a bunch of people running around trying to be fulfilled. Worshiping God only delights me. That's fulfillment. When I put God first in my life and I love Him above and beyond anything and everything else, God says I will experience fulfillment in my life that I cannot have anywhere else. You can look anywhere else, you'll not find it because it's there when I put Him first in my life. Psalms 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, you become like the Lord. You think like Him. You begin to behave like He wants you to behave. And all of a sudden you begin to find out in all of this that your desires, all of your desires are being met by God Himself. That's what He does. 
Look at that promise. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. I'll give you happiness. Boy, there's a world looking for happiness. He says, I'll give it to you. You'll have it like you've never had before. If you seek me, no other thing or no other person can ever bring that to you. He will give me my heart's desire and I will have fulfillment. Romans 10, 11 says, for the, the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Don't settle for something that will disappoint you. Don't settle for an image that disgrades and distorts the real God. Let me tell you something. Image worship humanizes God and deifies man. That's the reason we want those kinds. We want to be God. Let me tell you something. You can't beat the real thing, folks. No matter what. He gives us delight. But let me give you a second thing that worshiping God only will do. It'll deliver me. The word for that is freedom. Oh, talk to somebody just this past week that needs freedom. That's freedom. I will experience freedom like I've never known it when I put God first in my life. John 8, verse 31 and 32, you know these. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my, in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says that in another verse in that same chapter, verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I mean free. Most of us are not free. This is the reason God says, I will give you this freedom when you put me first in your life. When you're free as a parent, your children will start picking up on that as well. Let me tell you how you're free. You no longer worry about the approval of other people. I'm not trying to please anybody but God now. If I please God, that's all I really have to please. There's freedom in that. God, I'm going to live for an audience of one. I'm not going to try to please everybody else. That's what he's saying. That's freedom. You can relax in that. Maybe a second thing about that. You'll be set free from the fears of the future. Fears for the future. You're not afraid. You're not afraid of dying because you're knowing where you're going. You're not afraid of what's going to come because you know God's already there. He'll set you free from the future. And when you worship God and God only, you're set free from your past. Oh, I'm talking to some people. You're set free from your past. I've been completely forgiven when I worship Him and worship Him only. I don't carry the regrets and the guilt that sin generates that I cannot go back and do anything about. God says, I'll set you free. And in the freedom, you'll be completely free from the past. One other thing, if I worship God and God only, I'll be set free from the present. Boy, the present runs after us really hard, doesn't it? I have new power. You see, I have His power to overcome sin in my life that I never could get control of, that I never could have before. And now that when I trust Him and trust Him and worship Him and worship Him only, His power is available to break those habits that I couldn't break on my own. You've been wrestling with that for a long time. You keep asking God to forgive you, but you keep doing it. And you go back and you ask Him again and you, get, and you carry all that guilt. And all of a sudden, 
is overloaded with it. There's no joy in your relationship with God. God says you put me first in your life. I'll give you power over that sin that you've never gotten power over. And worshiping God only as a third thing we talked about its fulfillment. He gives us freedom. But then there's a third thing. If I worship God and Him only, He develops me. And the word for that is fullness. You've heard that word used a lot in God's word, fullness, but very few of us recognize what it really means. When I put God first in my life, my potential is developed. God begins to fulfill in me what He created me to be. We become like what we love. And once we love Him and we begin to follow Him, we have that freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's what it's all about. I become more and more like Him when I worship Him and Him only. That's what He's saying. If I don't, if I worship myself, I will become selfish. If I worship my money, you know what that brings us? All the troubles that it does. I get selfish over everything. God wants to develop us the way He made us. That's what He wants to do for us. He wants us to be like Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those. That's what He wants. Let me give some life application. Let me just make a statement. Have you ever noticed that a $100 bill looks bigger in church than it does at the grocery store? You know why that is? I'm going to let you figure that out. That's what it's about. That's not putting him first. We're talking about. It's not easy to build your life or as parents to build your family on God's standard, on his word, the Ten Commandments. Especially when the world is saying, look at all of this. Look at all these idols that you can build your life on. They'll bring you everything you ever wanted. Now, sometimes those of us who sit in the church say, we don't have any idols. Let me tell you where those of us who are followers of God, who are involved in our church, let me tell you where our idols are. And you check yourself. We have a false image of who our God really is. We're just like the world in a lot of places. We have a false image of him. We may look at him and think he's unpleasable or that he's an old man who don't care anymore or he's given me freedom that I can do anything I want to and he's going to say it's all right. That's our idol. Those of us who are members or those of us who have been born again. How can I know who God really is? God wants us to know. And the way we know that he wants us to know, he came to this earth in human form. 
He did that. Ephesians 4, 12, and 13 in the Phillips translation says, God's gifts were made that the whole body, the church, might be built up into the up until the time comes when in the unity of common faith and common knowledge of the Son of God, we arrive at real maturity, that measure of development which is meant by the fullness of Christ. Colossians 1.15 says, He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God. That's the reason Jesus Christ told Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When I begin to obey what God has put it in my life to be, and I become more and more like His Son wants me to be, then I begin to know more of what God looks like and who He is. The first duty of Crossroads Fellowship, listen carefully, is to worship God. That's our first duty. Above and beyond everything else. And right on the heels of that, in fact, Apostle Paul puts it in the same place. He puts worship and then he puts work. That's what he puts. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. They're one and the same. In our men's study last Wednesday night, the same word for worship is the same word for a serving. Serving. Let me close with a story. I think someone read from Chronicles a while ago, earlier. In Second Chronicles 26, Uzziah was the king at that time. But he sinned. Did he steal? Did he get drunk? Did he commit adultery? No, he sinned by worshiping. Did you know that? He sinned by worshiping. He burned incense on the altar and he wasn't supposed to do that. God let him know right away. You see that in verses 16 through 19. But the story doesn't end there. He worshiped the true God in the wrong way. He had a son. His son came along and his son would not even enter into the temple when he stepped into the place of power. And then his grandson, when he stepped into the place of power, he nailed the door shut on the temple. Nobody could go in. Let me tell you about that. Here was Uzziah, misguided in his worship. Jotham, his son, was neglecting worship. And Ahaz, his grandson, corrupted worship. What I want you to see is, you shall not, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Friend, I want to tell you, it's more than just about you and your generation. It's part of your family coming behind you. It's pretty important. Let me share this with you. Forgiving sins 
seems to create a problem for the righteousness of God. Listen carefully what I'm telling you. It makes him look like a judge who will let criminals go free and get by with anything they want to without being punished. That's what it makes him look like to the world. In fact, the mercy of God puts the justice of God in jeopardy, it seems like. So to, in, so to vindicate God's justice, he did the unthinkable. What did he do? He put his son to death for my penalty and your penalty. He said to the whole world, sin will not be swept under the rug of the universe. It will be justified. So for you, who may be here who have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to understand God can still have righteousness and justice and judgment. And he does that. He wants to do that in your life if you'll allow him to. If you will just confess, God, I am a sinner. And ask for his forgiveness and receive his lordship over your life, you will be saved. God's never turned anybody down that asks him. He will not turn you down. Let me tell you what Calvary was. Calvary was really God glorifying God. That's what it was. God glorifying God. God exalted God on the cross. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, let me tell you what that puts in our life, what that should mean to us. It should mean to us that sin no longer has power over our life. And that the greatest thing we can do and that we should be doing is glorifying God for His mercy. That's worship. Glorifying God for His mercy. Child of God, do we do that? God says we are supposed to do that. I want to ask you to stand just a moment. You would. I'm just going to have a brief time of invitation. I don't know if God's speaking to you or He may be speaking to you and He may be speaking to you in an area that we hadn't even talked about. God also may be speaking to you to make public what He's doing in your life. I don't know. But I want to give you this opportunity, God's, God's invitation to do what He's telling you to do. Yes, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I've never received you as Lord. And right now, you just obey him right now as he speaks to you 
whatever he's speaking to you about. Can you say, Lord, it's all okay? Father calls us to listen and to obey as your children forgive us for the other gods in our life we thank you for your forgiveness and we praise you for your mercy we glorify you in our worship pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In a moment, we're going to receive our offering, but before we receive our offering, I just want to remind you, if you want to be a part of our new members class, that will be on a Saturday, the last Saturday of the month, that, that morning, then on the back of your card, would you put that so that I'll know how much I have to have for all the people that's coming. Before we receive our offering, let me share with you a story that I heard. A young man and his two dogs went to town. He had a German shepherd, he had a yellow lab, and he was taking them into town to get some farm supplies. He parked about a block away from the store he was going to go in. He told his two dogs that were up in the bed of his truck, You stay here until I get back. And so he went on to the store a block away. He was shopping when a lady came in the store and she said uh, to him, are those two dogs that are going in and out of the building next door, are they your dogs? He thought about that for a minute. So he took off running down to where his truck was. He rushed back there and he found those two dogs looking as innocent as they could be setting up, wagging their tail in the bed of a wrong truck. (laughs) You know, I thought about that. I thought about that. Sometimes our giving is like that. When we inspect it real close, it doesn't pass muster. But it doesn't fool God. Brother, as we receive our offering.